I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, the 18th chapter, as we look at verses 9 through 14. The Gospel of Luke, the 18th chapter. Someone has said that pride is the only disease that makes everybody sick except the person who has it. You know, pride is something that can encroach upon our lives, and before we know it, we can be consumed by it. Now, I will tell you that through the years, I've had some help just keeping my pride in check. One, growing up in the state of Mississippi and rooting for the football teams in Mississippi, that kept me humble, okay? Always does. Another thing is being a part of the church life. Being a part of the church life can keep you humble as well. I remember... There I was in Picayune, Mississippi. I was just a young pastor back then. And I had made my little visit to the hospital. I had seen Miss Marguerite Hall. I walked in. I saw Miss Marguerite. I had done everything that they had taught me in the college and in the seminary to do when you made such a hospital visit. And Miss Marguerite stopped at one point and she said to me, she said, Do you know you are a good-looking guy? Well, I've been told that a time or two, I think, but uh, appreciate you. No, she said, I'm telling you, you are a good-looking young man. Now, again, Miss Marguerite was probably 90, her vision impaired at this point and so, but I was still taking this as a compliment. I could just sense the pride welling up in me. I could sense my, my head just stretching out just a little more. And after the third or fourth time, She had told me how good-looking I was and how I had reminded her of this other good-looking guy. Finally, she deflated my pride. She said, yeah, you know that guy? He was so good-looking, and that's the guy you look like. And he was, I mean, just good-looking. But that guy wasn't worth killing, she said. (laughs) So I remind you of the guy that was handsome, but wasn't worth killing. And you could just feel the humility just reign in my body at that point. You know, we have different ones who kind of keep us in check, our pride in check. And yet, that pride can consume us, especially when spiritual pride comes into our lives. And I want to share this with you this morning. As Jesus spoke to those who were confident in themselves who are confident in their own spirituality, who are confident in their own righteousness. Listen to what Jesus said to these individuals. Verse 9, it says, Also, Jesus spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, notice the way Jesus speaks to these individuals directly. You've got to appreciate this. You know, so many of us, 
we can talk about the issues we face. We can talk about the people. We can talk about the different challenges that we have in our lives and even in the church's life. But here Jesus actually speaks to these individuals, those who are confident in themselves, who are confident in their own righteousness, these individuals who despised others. Jesus said, let me just talk to you. Let me just zero in here with you for just a moment. And I want to tell you a story. And Jesus tells them this parable. It's a parable about a prayer meeting. I mean, something that would be a daily experience in the Jewish life. As a matter of fact, there were three basic times when the Jews would go up to pray at the temple. 9 o'clock in the morning, noon, 3 p.m. Hey, I like those times, right? You don't have to get up before 8 o'clock to be there at prayer time at 9, right? But they go up and they pray. And Jesus says, I want to give you a lesson from a prayer meeting. He says there were two men, two guys that were so opposite of one another and who they were the Pharisee, and the tax collector. Now, again, the audience listening to Jesus, hearing these two men identified, must have thought to themselves, here Jesus is going to make a good point about how the Pharisee is so much more righteous than the tax collector. I mean, those who were listening, they, they would have thought to themselves that these individuals were so different one demonstrating godliness in his life, that is the Pharisee, and the tax collector. You see, the Pharisee in that day was the most religious and revered individual in the culture. Now, see, that's so different for us, right? Our concept of what the Pharisee is. I mean, our concept of the Pharisee has now been colored by the New Testament and uh, certainly by Jesus' words themselves, and now... Today, the idea of a Pharisee has negative connotations. Look, if somebody comes up to you after this service and said, Hey, Pharisee, how you doing? You probably should not accept that as a compliment. And you probably would not. Because you understand, as you look at the New Testament, that being a Pharisee was not necessarily a positive thing. But just for a moment, I want to take you back to that New Testament culture. And in that New Testament culture, if you heard the idea of a Pharisee, if you heard that mentioned, you would, you would obviously think of the best people you could think of. These were individuals that were committed to the law, committed to the practice of God. These were devout individuals. They were people to be revered and honored in that culture. Well, the tax collector was as far from that as you could imagine. The tax collector. The tax collector was associated with those who had compromised their faith. Those who had given over to the, the Roman occupation. Those who were doing the bidding of the Roman government. They were going out and they were taking money from their own brothers and sisters. They had betrayed the Jewish nation. They had betrayed the Jewish people. And when you brought up the idea of a tax collector, well... It brought up all kinds of immoral thoughts in individuals' minds. So Jesus tells this story. Prayer meeting. Here you are at a prayer meeting. You've got a Pharisee and you've got a tax collector. Two individuals so far apart in character and attitude. So far apart in who they are. And this is what Jesus says. Beginning in verse 11 it says, The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. 
God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Within those words, you hear the spiritual pride that had consumed the Pharisee. Spiritual pride, what is that? Spiritual pride is misplaced faith in self and self-empowered works as a path to righteousness. Now listen to what I said. Spiritual pride. Now, understand what pride is. Self-conceit, exaltation of self. But spiritual pride, spiritual pride is this misplaced faith and trust in self and self-empowered works as a path to righteousness. Spiritual pride. You can see it in this passage. You can see it in the demeanor, the words, and the activities of this Pharisee. For example, look at the posture. It says in verse 11 that he stood. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with standing when you pray. There wasn't anything necessarily wrong here. But when you contrast it with the posture of the tax collector, you can see this self reliance this self-confidence and look at verse 11 it says and he prayed thus with himself does that catch anybody here off guard he prayed with himself what was he having his own little conversation with himself literally it's like he prayed toward himself his posture was one of self-reliance He would stand before God. He had no problem standing in such a manner. And he had no problem in praying to himself. His aim of the prayer was was merely a selfish aim. Not something that was to be aimed to God or to heaven. He was simply praying to himself in pride. I love what Dr. Herschel Hobbs said about this. Some of you remember the old Southern Baptist statesman. Some of you still read his commentaries. You think he's still writing, huh? (laughs) Wonderful man. And he said this. He said, if the temple had not been torn down in A.D. 70, this prayer would probably still be bouncing off the walls of the temple because it never made its way to heaven. Why? Because it wasn't aimed to God. He wasn't concerned about God. It said he was praying with himself. It was all about the here and now and the self-righteousness that he had. He wasn't praying to God. That's what Jesus tells us. So you hear the selfishness, the conceit in his posture. Notice the prayer then itself. It says, again in verse 11, God... I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. The prayer itself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I thank you that I'm not like all these others. And even this tax collector, and perhaps as he spoke about the extortioner, unjust, and adulterer, he may have even thought, He may have even known that the tax collector had been involved in all of those sins. Perhaps he was just kind of throwing those sins out there to identify the tax collector himself. He said, God, I'm pretty thankful that I'm not like them and I haven't done those kinds of things before. 
Well, most of us do not verbally proclaim or boldly proclaim such confidence in our prayers. Most of us probably do not. Now, I will tell you of one time at a prayer meeting, one Wednesday night, here we were, we were sitting around, I had taken a little time off that night, I had big paper coming up in seminary, and I was there, I was going to attend, but I didn't do the study, and I did not lead the prayer meeting that night. We'd had one of our staff members that was about to retire, and uh, one of our other staff members called on her to pray, and she began to pray. So here we are, there are about 50 of us in the prayer meeting, that's about all that we had, meeting in a little fellowship hall, sitting next to my wife, Leslie, about the one time in church life I've ever sat by her, I think, when the service was going on. But we were sitting there, and all of a sudden, this lady began to pray. This is what she said. God, I thank you that you have gifted me so. I thank you for all the talents that you have given me, and God, there are many. God, I thank you for allowing me to be a blessing to this church. God, I thank you for allowing me to serve these 10 years, 9 months, 8 weeks, and 3 days. They are so blessed to have me. At that point, I opened my eyes. My wife was trying to restrain me. Most of you know that I'm a pretty calm individual. But she was trying to restrain me. She said, Reggie, get down. I said, no, I, no, I'm not praying. Are you praying this prayer with her? No, I'm not praying this because you could just hear. Now, I'm not calling her name. Don't try to go and investigate who this individual was. But it's the only time that I've really almost heard that pharisaical prayer, this one, just mentioned. I, I, and I'm not saying the woman was not. But, folks, when we come to prayer and we come to God, it's not about us. Actually, may I say this this morning? When we come to worship and we come to be a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we come to enjoy the fellowship that God has given us and take part in any kind of spiritual discipline, listen to me this morning. It is not about us. It never should be. If we have allowed our spiritual experience to become a self-centered experience, we have missed the goodness and the graciousness and the glory of God himself. Here, this man, this Pharisee, one of the most devout, one of the most religious individuals you would find in all of the culture, all he could focus upon in this prayer was his own self. God, I'm so thankful I'm not like these other people. Again, most of us would not verbally or so, so boldly proclaim that in our prayers. But may we admit, may we admit that there are moments in our lives where we walk through and we look at what's going on and we think to ourselves, wow, we're doing pretty good. Look at us. Look at how we're not partaking in some of the other things that this world is taking, partaking in. God, I'm, I'm so thankful that we're not like these people that are going off and doing this on their own. If we're not careful, if we are not careful, we can allow spiritual pride, that misplaced faith and trust 
in ourself and our self-empowered works, well, to become what we think the path to righteousness. Pharisee was all about this self-centeredness. And then look at his practice. Verse 12. He says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. He says, not only have I demonstrated this moral purity, but he says, in my moral practice, in this idea of fasting twice a week. Many of the Pharisees would fast on Tuesday and on Thursday. They'd fast twice a week. That's, that's rather incredible, isn't it? I mean, when you think about spiritual discipline and you think of somebody that would fast twice a week, you would think of those individuals as spiritually superior to most of us. That's probably your thought. It would be my thought as well. I mean, they can fast twice a week. Now, we know from Jesus' words that many of them did that so that people could see this external righteousness. They could see this moral practice of fasting in such a way. But it says also, I give tithes of all that I possess. Not necessarily just my income, of all that I possess. Jesus speaking to them. Matthew chapter 23 verse 23 said that many of these Pharisees would tithe off of the herbs that they had. Down to the herb that they had. They would make sure that they're tithing. Now listen, there is nothing wrong with fasting. Amen? Yeah, I figured that response would come from a bunch of Baptists. Those of you in the gathering, I hope you're a little more spiritually disciplined than those of us down here in the sanctuary. There's nothing wrong with tithing. Ooh, that makes me feel better at least. <clears throat> Nothing wrong with it. But when those practices, when those self-empowered acts become your path to righteousness, you have failed miserably in your spiritual journey. He says, I'm looking around and I see what I do and I'm giving tithes and, and I'm fasting. Again, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 23, in that same verse 23 where he speaks about their faithfulness and tithing even off of their herbs, he says to them that they have missed the bigger picture of mercy and love and justice. They were focusing on such small things, upon their own righteous acts, that they had missed the righteousness of God himself. So that is the picture that he paints for us of spiritual pride. Then move, if you will, to the picture of spiritual humility. Spiritual humility. Verse 13. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This is a picture of spiritual humility. May I define spiritual humility for you? It is well-placed faith. Listen to me. Spiritual humility is well-placed faith in God and God-empowered works as the path to righteousness. 
It is our faith. It is our trust. Notice again back in verse 9 it said that he was speaking to those who had faith in themselves. Here this tax collector is going to be an example of an individual that has faith in God and God's works as the path to true righteousness. Look at his posture. It says, standing afar off. So you can almost have this picture that the Pharisee is right up there in the very front of the court of Israel. He's there in the temple and he is standing before God and he's praying. This tax collector, it would be as if this tax collector was standing far off, almost like he did not believe he could go into the presence of God in such a bold manner. Standing afar off. Then maybe he couldn't approach the Pharisee and the righteousness or, or he couldn't even approach God, certainly. Standing afar off. Picture of humility. It said that he would not even lift his eyes to heaven. Because of this all-consuming recognition of his sin and his unholiness. Gives you a picture of Isaiah 6. When you see God in such greatness and glory and holiness. All you can do is proclaim. That I am a man of unclean lips. I'm a broken individual. I am sinful. I am radically sinful before a holy God. That is what the attitude of this tax collector demonstrated and it said that he would beat his breast in other words he would go on beating his breast he would just continue that as a sign of a sign of his humility and brokenness before God what a difference what a difference I say to you that the culture would have recognized a total difference between the Pharisee and the tax collector and Jesus does paint a difference between the Pharisee and the tax collector but Jesus' picture, Jesus' contrast is so different from what culture would have understood in that day and time. This tax collector, this publican, this one who had been charged with compromise and treason and even theft itself, stood before a holy God and said, I'm not worthy to stand here. I'll stand back. I won't even look to heaven because I know that I am not worthy. And he would beat. His breast. And look at his prayer. How simple is this prayer. It's not laced with flowery language. It's not eloquent necessarily. It's not a thesis on the theology of the day. It is just a proclamation from the heart. It says. God. God. Notice his aim is God. He wants to speak to him. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I recognize that I've fallen short. I recognize my sin. I recognize who I am as I stand before you. God, be merciful. That was his prayer. I think God delights in simplicity. Especially when simplicity reflects 
just the brokenness and humility of our hearts and lives. Some of us in this place today, for example, we may say to ourselves, well, it, it just doesn't seem that I could go before God and pray in such a matter. I, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not a very verbal kind of person. I can't necessarily proclaim or, or articulate the thoughts that I have sometimes. I, I just don't know what I'd say to God. Let me just say to you, God already knows your heart and your life. All you got to do is just go before him and just, just pour it out to him. And God's okay with simplicity. He actually embraces it. Today in this place and who we are and as we come before him, he just wants us to humble ourselves and to recognize who we are and to recognize who he is. Could we just say today that as we come together in this place, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God? From the preacher to the deacon to the Sunday school teacher to that individual who would be an usher, to that individual who would serve on a committee, to that individual that just comes each and every Sunday. Guess what? We're in this common lot of what we call sinners. We have fallen short of the glory of God. And the only way we can experience that mercy is to cry out to Him with that type of simplicity, that type of genuineness, that type of repentance. Notice... What God performs. Uh, he says be merciful. Unto me a sinner. He is dependent upon the work of God here. Not his own work. The Pharisee was talking about all the good things he had done. All the righteous acts. The tax collector. Wanted to talk about the righteous act of God. That idea of being merciful. Okay so I dug into the passage just a little bit. And I looked at this uh, for myself, and I found that that word there, that idea of being merciful, that is the same idea that is found in Romans chapter 3. You wouldn't necessarily see it, I think, on the surface. I didn't as I was reading through the English. But as I looked at the original language, you could tell that there was a connection between what this tax collector said and what Paul would, said, would say later on. This idea of being merciful, this idea of God forgiving, this idea is the same idea that Paul speaks of when he talks about turning away the wrath of God. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now listen, verse 25. Whom God set forth as a propitiation, propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In Luke chapter 18, verse 13, the word be merciful, that verb that is there is the same word, it's akin to the same noun that you find in verse 25, propitiation. Propitiation. What is that? I'm sure some of you used it this week, right? Hey, have you seen my propitiation lately? <clears throat> Looking good. See my team out there playing ball? 
That's a propitiation right there, huh? That's probably the way some of us might use it. What is a propitiation? Propitiation is the object of wrath. That thing, that, that sacrifice that is there that turns away the wrath of God. And what Paul said in Romans is that Jesus became the propitiation. The wrath of the Father fell upon Jesus because of sin. You see, that wrath should have fallen upon us. Why? Because we are sinners. But what Jesus did is he went to the cross and he became the very object of wrath. He said, I will appease, I will do whatever it takes to take the sins of the world upon me. And there, in that place, he took the wrath of the Father for us. And he became the propitiation. So listen to what this tax collector says. This tax collector says, God, do whatever it takes. Be merciful. Do your own work. Do your own will in my life. And, and take away this sin that is consuming me. What a prayer. Knowing that all of us as sinners fall under the wrath of a holy God to depend upon His righteousness and that one right act of sacrifice that has paid for our sins and the sins of the world. May I say to you today that as we come into this place, our faith should be well placed in God and the God-empowered acts as the path to righteousness. Because you and I, as we would go about our business each day and we would try to do those things that are good and those things that are righteous, we would continue to fall short. And when we go to God and we try to offer those things and say, hey God, look at what we've done for you. Look how good we are. God would say, those things are nothing but filthy rags before me. Nothing but filthy rags. But my friends, when we go clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ because we have had faith in Him and trusted in Him and we stand before God the Father, God embraces us as His Son because we have been forgiven. Because the wrath has been turned away. Because we have received mercy. So Jesus gives a story. He draws these bright contrasts between the Pharisee and the tax collector. And then, in case we missed it, no matter how obvious the lesson is, he states it for us explicitly once again in verse 14. I tell you, this man, this tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. And here's the lesson. Here's the principle. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. The lesson that you learn from the prayer meeting is that if you exalt yourself in your own righteousness, well, you will be humbled. But if you humble yourself before a holy God, there will be exaltation. 
Jesus repeats this lesson throughout his ministry. He teaches his disciples. He speaks to those who would trust in their own self-righteousness. Over and over again, he would speak these words. And we see it not only identified in this story, but even in the life of Jesus. Right? This Jesus who humbled himself. All so different from Satan himself. Satan tried to exalt himself above the God of heaven. And Satan was cast down and humbled because of his self-exaltation. But Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Philippians chapter 2, that great hymn that you find in verses 5 through 11, it says that Jesus humbled himself. And he humbled himself in such a manner that he became a man, the incarnation, and that he died a death, not just any death, Paul said, but the death on the cross. Jesus humbled himself and demonstrated to us salvation, demonstrated to us an example of this true principle. And just as Jesus humbled himself, as the principle, the lesson we learn, as it states, one day, even this day, Jesus has been exalted. You see in that same passage about the humility of Christ, how he humbled himself. Do you remember the rest of it? That one of these days, that one of these days, one of these days, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. The humility of Christ transformed into the exaltation of Christ. So the challenge to us, have we learned the lesson? This day, are we placing our faith, misplaced faith, by the way, in our own self and our own self-empowered works to demonstrate righteousness? Or have we placed, well-placed our faith in God, His righteousness, His, His empowered works as the path to what is right and to what is good. Today, may we denounce self-conceit and spiritual pride and may we embrace spiritual humility in our lives. It is the only way to be pleasing to such a good and gracious and loving God. Let's pray together. Father, we pause this morning. We're thankful that you have acted on our behalf. And God, we recognize this morning, we recognize how we fall short of your glory. And I pray that we would never forget it. No matter how long we're believers, that we would never forget that we're still dependent upon your righteous, righteousness in our lives. And God, I pray this morning you'd speak to us in such a way that you would, Lord, move us out of our comfort zones, move us away from that self-conceit, and move us toward a, an honest, loving relationship with you. God, I pray this morning in this place, for every individual that can hear my voice. Lord, that you would do a work 
that you would help us to stand before you unworthy but accepted through your son the Lord Jesus Father we love you we praise you in Jesus name